When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Film Spotting SVU is brought to you by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Mad Men co-stars John Slattery and Christina Hendricks team up for the twisted comedy God's Pocket, Slattery's directorial debut about life and death on the mean streets of Philadelphia, also featuring John Turturro and the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's playing on demand during its theatrical run. Jake Gyllenhaal seeks out his exact lookalike after spotting him in a movie in the mind-bending thriller Enemy, premiering on demand today. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer, and with Allison Wilmore in France covering the Cannes Film Festival this week, I'm joined by a special guest. He's the senior editor of ScreenCrush.com, Mike Ryan. Mike, thank you for joining me. How are you doing today? Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's excited. I wanted, counter, I wanted to counter your enthusiasm just a little bit. That's good. People love to hear unenthusiastic people talk about movies they don't care about. I think that's the main reason to listen to a podcast. <laughs> And I thank you for inviting me on to do that. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for coming. On the show this week, Mike and I put on our bullet-trimmed cowboy hats and snakeskin vests to review the shockingly popular 1986 hit, Crocodile Dundee. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some other titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered around a common theme. In honor of Crocodile Dundee, we were going to talk about movies involving knives And it would have mostly involved me saying to Mike, that's not a movie about a knife. This is a movie about a knife. Then we decided to broaden the discussion just a little bit for people who aren't fans of edge weapons. And instead, we're going to recommend some other fish-out-of-water movies. Uh, But first up is Opening Break, the segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films that are new on demand, and I've got all the picks this week. Mike, I'm going to just ask you as we go through if you've seen any of these movies, if you have any thoughts. The first one is entitled Cold in July. It's directed by Jim Mickle, and it's going to be available on VOD starting on May 23rd. And this is uh, Jim Mickle's latest film. He uh, directed a couple of interesting movies, the vampire indie film Stakeland, and he recently remade the Mexican horror film We Are What We Are. Have you seen either of those, Mike? I have not. Okay. Uh, so he makes very stylish, atmospheric, you know, smart little genre movies. That's sort of his thing. Cold in July is a crime film. It's based on a novel by Joe Lansdale, and it's got a good cast. It's got Michael C. Hall from Dexter in the main role, and it also co-stars Sam Shepard and Don Johnson. Here's the plot description. After accidentally killing an unarmed intruder, Richard Dane must contend with the man's angry father. However, Dane begins to suspect that cop Ray Price may be hiding information from him that would indicate that he was involved in something much more complicated. 
wrong with us, Hurting Russell? He's a wanted felon. You're an upstanding citizen. Sometimes a good guy wins. What's this? That's not the guy I shot. It's called shock. Why don't you go home and let me deal with the police work, man? I hear you got you one last night. It's not something I'm proud of. Police want a statement from me. It's all over the school. So what happens now? We buried a son of a bitch. He got any family? A daddy in Huntsville prison. He just got paroled. Mr. Russell, I'm sorry. You're, uh, Dane, right? Your boy. He looks a whole lot like you, doesn't he? He's in the house! Get back in the car. Oh, my God. Wikipedia, which is never wrong, says that uh, Mickle was influenced in the making of this movie by Roadhouse and Memories of Murder. And uh, I can't imagine a more enticing... I've seen, co- Road, I've seen Roadhouse. You've seen Roadhouse? Yeah. Well, I've also seen Memories of Murder, which is this fabulous Korean detective thriller. And uh, if there's a more enticing combination of two different films, I can't imagine it right now. So that sounds really interesting to me. Uh, The film premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival. It got good reviews there. It's actually playing this week, uh, as we're recording this, as you're listening to this, at the Cannes Film Festival, I think in the director's Fortnite section. And you can actually watch it at home at the same time starting on May 23rd. All right, we've got two other quick recommendations for you here on uh, opening break. First up is a film entitled The Angriest Man in Brooklyn, That's also going to be available on VOD starting on May 23rd. And without reading the plot description, I'm just going to guess this is a movie about me uh, after my fantasy baseball team has another historically bad day and falls even further into last place. Oh, no, wait. Hold on. I just found the plot description. Okay, it's not about me at all. Let me read this, the, the, the real plot description. A physician accidentally tells an obnoxious patient that he has a brain aneurysm and only 90 minutes to live as the patient races around the city trying to right his wrongs. The doctor attempts to find him as he tries to find what he must do in the final moments of his life. I mean, I, he doesn't sound all that angry to me in the description. I frankly sound a lot angrier when I play fantasy baseball, but... Uh, We'll see. Solid cast in this one as well. Robin Williams, Mila Kunis, Melissa Leo, Peter Dinklage, and James Earl Jones. And actually, it's directed by Phil Alden Robinson, who made a couple of classics, Field of Dreams, Sneakers. Sounds intriguing. Have you seen this one, Mike? I feel we need to rename at least this episode of the podcast, uh, uh, Movies Mike Ryan Has Not Seen. Okay. You haven't seen this one yet. Either. I have not seen that one. I've seen the uh, I've seen the two you mentioned. Field of Dreams and Sneakers. Yes. You've seen those. I have seen those. Okay, good. All right, and our final recommendation here, another intriguing one, Still Mine. This is directed by Michael McGowan and will be available on VOD starting on May 20th. I'll read the plot description of this one. The film stars James Cromwell as Craig Morrison, a farmer in rural St. Martin's, New Brunswick, who battles a government bureaucrat for the right to build a new house for his ailing wife, Irene, played by Genevieve Bujold, uh, when their existing home no longer suits her health needs. And I'm a big James Cromwell fan from Babe and L.A. Confidential. And I actually first heard about this movie on the main Film Spotting podcast when uh, Adam Kempinar had a really great interview with James Cromwell about his career, but also specifically about this film. Um, so I recommend checking that out if you're interested in hearing it. That was Film Spotting episode number 454. You can find that at filmspotting.net. I'm gonna. Can I guess if you've seen this one, Mike? 
Um, can we talk about Star Trek First Contact? Is it, <laughs> Cromwell is, is great in that too. He is good in that one. What's yeah. he plays like the uh, the guy who invents warp speed, right? Yes, he's he he. First Contact would not have been possible without without James Cromwell. James Cromwell. Yeah. We have a he, he we owe him a huge debt of gratitude for and that, I, I, and he will be reprising his role in Interstellar. Is it will he? Is that really true? No, that's no. not true. Okay. I made that up. Okay. And 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 any thoughts on the movie Still Mine? Have you seen that one? I have not seen that. Okay. Well, you're you're oh for three, um, but that's yeah. that's okay because these movies I are. I saw the peripheral movies that you mentioned, but not, none of those. No. Yeah, but that's okay too because these movies are all coming to VOD, so now you can check them all out. Right, I'm the target audience here. I should now I know about these, and I'm gonna, I'm going to check them out. Exactly. So that's still mine. That's going to be available on VOD starting on May twentieth. Topic on cue shots on this episode: fish out of water movies, inspired by uh, Crocodile Dundee. Now, Mike, you are the veritable fish out of water right now, as you are in unfamiliar territory on this podcast. And before we were recording, the people didn't hear this, but I was making fun of your accent, and I was looking down at you for not being from around here. I made fun of your clothes. So basically over the course of this show, you're going to have to get your revenge against me, I think is what's going to have to happen. But like, like Crocodile Dundee says to the guy with the knife, just, just a bunch of kids having fun. That's how I look at you. <laughs> kids having fun. A little, little, little fun hazing. It never hurt anyone. No, no. It's, it's, it's jovial. Jokes it and japes. Yes. Yeah. I feel very comfortable. I'm, I'm, I, you don't even know it yet, but I'm going to come back every week, even when Allison gets back from France. Oh, okay. That sounds yeah. good. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's get to our picks. I think we're going to talk a little more generally about fish out of water movies as we get through our picks. I'm going to go first. And my first pick is a classic fish out of water movie. It actually predates Crocodile Dundee. I wonder if the success of this movie in some way influenced Crocodile Dundee. Um, it's from 1984, directed by Martin Brest, now available on Netflix. It's Beverly Hills Cop. And it does have a very similar structure to Crocodile Dundee, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. This guy – Outback? Well, not not in the Outback, but in this kind of rough-and-tumble place. In this case, it's Detroit, not the Outback. Right. And he goes to this very classy place, in this case Beverly Hills, where he doesn't fit in and he has to learn how to navigate it. Um, and I think – I mean the – the the real thing that makes this movie stand out though is it's Eddie Murphy, you know, as the fish out of water giving a great performance, maybe his best performance, I don't know, but it's it's one of it's up there for sure as detective Axel Foley. And I think what it does right with the whole fish out of water scenario um is that it's like it just like the thing you love is that it's so satisfying as I was joking right, you know, a minute ago. It's very satisfying to see somebody who's like really smart but is underestimated. 
by stuck-up jerks and by arrogant wealthy people get the upper hand. You know, it's it's kind of a variation on like slobs versus snobs comedies like Animal House. You know, it's like the people who don't look the nicest or they don't dress the fanciest um, and, and, and people look down their noses at them. They're the underdogs. They you know, inevitably are able to triumph. And there's something very satisfying about that. Um, and this movie was a huge hit. I was looking it up. I mean, this was the number one movie of 1984. It made more money than Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is, it's sort of hard to believe. I mean, I think this movie is well-remembered, it's well-liked, but, you know, I don't think most people, if you asked what was, you know, a bigger hit, I think they would not guess that Beverly Hills Cop was was the supreme hit of 1984, the number one movie of the year, but it was, and it, it still holds up pretty well. It's a really funny movie. It's interesting what you say about Beverly Hills Cop being the number one movie in 1984, because it's almost a subplot uh, uh, um, of what we're talking about with some of these movies. Crocodile Dundee was the number two movie of 1986 and only lost to Top Gun by less than $2 million of being the number one movie of 1986. And it's just interesting because this would never happen today. Preble Hills Cop would never be the number one movie of 2014. And especially Crocodile Dundee would never be the number two movie of 2014. And it's just, I don't know, in a way that's sad. In a way there's, there, you know, we get... Um, we get sleeper hits, and I think Neighbors is kind of a good example of that. But Neighbors isn't going to be the number two movie of 2014. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, this was almost uh, – they, they, they were pretty ubiquitous at a certain point in the 80s. It became – and maybe it was because some of these movies became surprise hits. I mean, there were a lot of them. I mean, the movies you're going to talk about, at least one of them, uh, is uh, is another 80s you know, fish-out-of-water comedy that became a huge surprise hit. It's curious – why like why why was this such a popular theme in the 1980s? Why did the people of the 80s feel like fish out of water? Why did they feel like they could relate to the story of underestimated uh people from the sticks or from these dangerous places who come to the big city? Like I'm not really sure why that resonated with people so much in, in the in the 80s, but it really did uh, in a way that it, it either doesn't as much anymore or it just just the the genre got played out. I don't know. Maybe if they made a a new a new version today, it, it would become a, a big hit. I mean, they've talked a lot about making a fourth Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy as an older guy. I'm not sure if that would really be the same, quite the same thing as as sort of making another fish out of water movie. But well, I, I think this is just. Um, I think the reason might be in in the 1980s. I think we went. You know, we went through. The country went through a pretty terrible recession in in in, in the late seventies, early eighties, and, and and I think people were starting to feel good about themselves by the time um, Twins came out, which is the movie we're going to talk about later, and the, and the, by the time Crocodile Dundee came out, and I think those two movies have a lot in common of of people coming from somewhere else to the United States, and we're feeling good about ourselves. Oh, look at these two guys making it in the United States, and I just think it was a time of uh, maybe even false prosperity, but but I think the general feeling in the country at that time was very uh, proud of the United States, and I think it's almost reflected in those movies. Do you think I'm off base? No, it, it, it's an interesting theory. I'm not sure – I mean that could be part of it. I don't know if that was the entire reason, but it, it definitely seems like something that could absolutely be a part of it because there is something kind of – you know, especially with 
Crocodile Dundee and with twins, that's about, you know, not just being a fish out of water, but like a fish out of water in American popular culture or in American society. Um, Beverly Hills cop, not quite so much because he's coming from Detroit to Beverly Hills. Um, We did do a a whole podcast on Eddie Murphy before, actually. That was episode number 31 of Film Spotting SVU. If people at home want to go into the archives and, and find that one. And on that show, we talked about his whole career and certainly about his penchant for playing many characters in a single film. And when I went back and looked at Beverly Hills Cop last night, again, for, you know, the umpteenth time, I guess the thing that struck me that hadn't really struck me as much before is how successful that movie is at kind of integrating um, Murphy's kind of penchant for characters in a very seamless and clever way, because it's not like, uh, you know, him literally playing different people with makeup and and all that sort of stuff like he does in The Nutty Professor or Coming to America, where it's very showy. In this movie, that's just sort of like Axel Foley's kind of way to insinuate himself into situations. It's like any time someone asks him a question or if he's undercover, he just creates a new character, another persona. You know, he's the guy, he's the fast-talking cigarette salesman, or he's a flower delivery guy, or there's a really funny scene where he has herpes simplex 10 and he's trying to get into this, you know, ritzy private club to go confront this suspect in this murder investigation. And just the way that he seamlessly kind of integrates that character stuff into the movie is really, really good. May I help you? Yes. I'm looking for Victor Maitland. Uh, you realize that this is a members only club. Mm-hmm, but I have to talk to Victor. It's very, very important. Are you sure it's Victor Maitland you want? Oh, yes, Victor Maitland, the gray-haired gentleman, very dark-skinned, Capricorn, Victor. Um, well, why don't you give me the message, and I'll take it to him. Okay, I guess I can do that. Um, tell Victor that Ramon, the fella he met about a week ago, tell him that um, Ramon went to the clinic today, and I found out that I have um, simplex 10. And I think Victor should go check himself out with his physician to make sure everything is fine before things start falling off on the man. Uh, perhaps you better tell him that. You know, I think that would be best. So do I. So that's Beverly Hills Cop. It's available now on Netflix. Mike, you got your first pick. You already spoiled it in that conversation, but why don't we just get to it right now? Uh, yes, I did spoil it. It's uh, the uh, Danny DeVito vehicle, uh, Twins, uh, directed by Ivan Reitman, available on iTunes and Amazon for rent. Um, I think this movie is interesting because this, it, you know, when this movie came out, and I remember when it came out, I remember seeing it in the theater. This was the first true movie where I think america embraced arnold schwarzenegger i know that sounds kind of crazy with the movies that came before like terminator obviously but it was the first movie that proved that schwarzenegger can do something other than uh an action movie and i I feel weird saying this to the schwarzenegger expert because maybe i'm completely off base on this but i feel this was the movie like this was the first movie my dad really decided oh i like this guy his action movies actually, I think, benefited from having done Twins because people looked at him differently. People looked at him as someone who can do comedy. And um, I think it's, gonna, it's almost ins- insane to say, um, and, and you probably will laugh when I say this, but I think Twins might be Schwarzenegger's most important movie because it made his action movies even better. It's, it definitely was an important movie in his career for sure. And, and the whole fish-out-of-water element became something that – it was really perfect for him because, you know, the 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 whole action movie career he'd had up to that point, they'd sort of 
most of the time they basically ignored the fact that he was this gigantic bodybuilder from Austria. You know, like he would just be Colonel John Matrix who just happens to also be a, a gigantic bodybuilder from Austria and also a U.S. you know military secret special forces guy. Or, you know, like they, he would make these big action movies where he he was – but it, was, it wasn't really commented upon that he was this – weird strange looking dude from you know another country with this you know unusual accent and twins kind of gave him the right outlet sort of like how it gave Eddie Murphy this outlet to you know create all these characters it gave Arnold Schwarzenegger this outlet to kind of address the fact that he was kind of this unusual figure in movies and kind of have fun with it and and be playful about it and and make fun of his 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 strangeness, I guess, and, and and make fun of Stallone on camera. It not only affected his action movies, but I mean, it really he started doing other fish like Kindergarten Cop is another fish out of water movie he made with Ivan Reitman right after that. That was another example of a, a very similar uh, you know riff on the same formula. Where he, in that case, he's like the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger figure, the tough guy cop who is thrown unwillingly into this. Uh, undercover uh, situation where he has to be the teacher to this kindergarten class and he doesn't know how to handle that. So he and then he you know and 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 then he repeated it again a couple other times with movies like Junior and there's a few others where you know he kind of realized that that friction was sort of interesting and people like to see him in those sorts of situations where instead of being the ultimate you know, badass and the ultimate guy who was always in control, which people enjoyed seeing him in too. Like, you know, his action movies were fairly successful, but like a mainstream audience, wider audiences really got into seeing him kind of play with that and, uh, and look a little, be, be out of his element, be uncomfortable, you know, like that became a thing that he just started doing over and over and people ate it up. I mean, it made over $200 million. Uh, it's probably worldwide, but still, um, I'm just looking at the the numbers right now as we speak. That's I did not know it made that much money, and I I I, I cannot really back up this claim. But I would uh, I would assume Schwarzenegger probably doubled his fan base off of Twins because people that had never seen a Schwarzenegger movie before saw him in this and liked him, and then probably went back for some of his you know probably went back to see True Lies because they liked him in Twins. I have a brother. Oh my goodness, my universe is good. Arnold Schwarzenegger, born to be bad, and Danny DeVito, way to go, mom, are twins. My name is Julius. I'm your twin brother. Obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. Only their mother can tell them apart. So that was Twins, and uh, it's available on iTunes and Amazon for rent. Okay, we're, we're dipping back out of the 80s now. We're going to go back in time for our last two picks here. And uh, mine is, is the older of the two. This movie is from 1936, and it is directed by Frank Capra. And you can stream it on Redbox Instant, or you can uh, buy it on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. It's Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, and this is the original Frank Capra movie, not the Adam Sandler remake. Which I have to confess, Mike, I've never seen. Have you seen Mr. Deeds? The Adam I, have Sa- seen Mis- I have seen the Adam Sandler version, yes. And is it a triumph of the cinematic form? It is 
of of the of the Adam Sandler filmography, it's it's right there in the middle. <laughs> That's high praise. Take, take that how you will. That's high praise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually, as I, as we're talking about it, I kind of realized that Adam Sandler's another guy who's made a lot of fish out of water movies, right? Really, all that early part of his career, every single one of those characters that he became a movie star on the back of. They're all fish out of water, right? Billy Madison, the the adult, the grown up who goes back to elementary school. Happy Gilmore, the hockey player who goes to the you know snooty world of golf. Little Nicky. Yeah, but he changed it a little bit for Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer, he wasn't really a fish out of water. Okay, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. But but he did yeah. the, he played that formula a lot. Little Nicky is another one. Mr. Deeds, obviously. Big Daddy. He's all of a sudden Big parent. Daddy. He's, he's got to be a parent. parent. Yeah, that was that was his thing for a lot of those a lot of his the early part of his career, particularly. And now he's in Africa soon. There's you go. The, yeah. the, with Blended, that's right. The, the, Blended, he, yeah. He's still he's going back to the fish out of water well one more time at least. Um, but this the, the original Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds goes to town. Uh, stars Gary Cooper. He plays Longfellow Deeds. He's a postcard writer, tuba enthusiast from Mandrake Falls, Vermont. Um, he has an uncle, a very wealthy uncle who dies, has no children, so he leaves uh, Deeds twenty million dollars. And then Deeds travels to New York to collect the money where in a subplot that I'm realizing now probably inspired a lot of Crocodile Dundee, he falls for the reporter who is sent to write a story about him who nicknames him the Cinderella Man and um, kind of makes him the toast of New York and then a laughingstock and then basically like a pariah. You know, um, He decides to give away his fortune, this $20 million, to needy farmers – and um, basically the attorneys for his late uncle who want the fortune for themselves to try to get it, they have him declared insane and they kind of have him like brought on trial to try to get the money away from him before he can give it away. Your Honor, this is becoming farcical. I demand that Mr. Deeds dispense with side remarks and confine himself to facts. Let him explain his wanderings around the street in his underclothes. He's feeding donuts to horses. Please. <laughs> Mr. Cedar's right. Those things do look kind of bad, don't they? But to tell you the truth, Your Honor, I don't remember them. I guess they happened all right because I, I don't think a policeman would lie about a thing like that. But I was drunk. It was the first time I was ever drunk in my life. It's probably happened to you sometime. I mean, I mean when you were younger, of course. <clears throat> and the thing that uh, I had just actually watched this movie for a, another project I'm working on, a piece that I'm writing about, another Frank Capra movie, which is another fish out of water movie, which is Mr. Smith goes to goes to Washington. And um, the thing that's interesting about the Capra movies, these fish out of water movies, is that the the fishes, as they were, they're you know, they're they're funny and there's comedy there. But there's something kind of like scary and almost dangerous about the scenario in Capra movies. Like, you know, in in an Adam Sandler movie, you're not really worried about Adam Sandler. You know, you're not even really worried that much about Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop. You know, it's, it's fun to watch him in that scenario. It's fun to watch Adam Sandler in that, in that fish out of war scenario. You know, in, in Mr. Deeds, he's, you know, he gets, they, they want to throw him in the insane asylum and then, and his, his whole life is his is you know potentially almost ruined. Same thing with Mr. Smith, where you know these these corrupt fat cats in the Senate and the people who control them uh, try to get him thrown out of the Senate and and ruin his good name essentially and accuse him of all the things that they're doing. 
and it, they can be kind of dark. And, and the reason that they, they're not ultimately depressing is really like the message at the end. And they always leave you – Capra always leaves you kind of with this idea that if you do stick to your guns, if you do maintain your values – you know where you came from if you're you don't allow this new place to change you even when they try to even in the face of adversity like the your 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 traditional values your small town values they will win out in the end but it's a little the stakes are a little bit higher in those capper movies which is what i like about them you know they're not as funny like mr deeds goes to town the the humor some of it hasn't aged all that well mr smith which isn't as much of a comedy, I think, holds up better than Mr. Deeds goes to town. But, uh, I mean, the message of it, I think, holds up. And the end of it is really powerful in a way that a lot of fish-out-of-water movies are not, even though they can be really funny. So so that's Mr. Deeds goes to town, streaming on Redbox Instant or available for purchase on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. Uh, my next pick is uh, John uh, Schlesinger's uh, uh, Midnight Cowboy, which I watched on Netflix recently. I don't think it's on there right now but it seems to keep popping up every now and then it's uh it's it is on itunes and amazon um it is a heartwarming comedy uh that eventually seinfeld used to parody because <laughs> it's so funny um god uh, nothing but laughs and that's what we love about fish out of water movies the hilarity i don't think you're being serious right now i am not being serious it is it is it is a fish out of water movie, but it is a depressing fish out of water movie uh, with some of the most iconic lines of all time. But also, um, uh, it's not a happy story. Uh, basically, the plot of the movie is uh, we have uh, John Voight playing Joe Buck, uh, not the famed broadcaster uh, today, um, not the son of Cardinals <laughs> legend Jack Buck, but Joe Buck from uh, from from Midnight Cowboy, who is from Texas. Uh, Makes his way to New York City, uh, eventually becomes a male prostitute, befriends uh, Dustin Hoffman's uh, Ratso, and um, becomes more and more depressing as as the movie come, goes along. With these gals that want to buy it, most of them are old and dignified. Social registered types, you know what I mean? They can't be trotting down at Times Square to pick out the merchandise. They gotta have some kind of uh, middleman. And that's where old Daniel comes in, you know what I mean? I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Up your shoes, son of a bitch. You don't talk me that way. Get out of here. Don't worry about that. Actually, that ain't a bad way to pick up insurance, you know. And I thought it would be interesting to include this one as a fish outer water movie because um, I feel even. You know, even with Mr. Deeds, there's still it, 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 Mr. Deeds is a comedy. There's some there's some darkness to it. Uh, there's really not much funny going on in Midnight Cowboy. No. And just because you're a fish out of water, it proves um, you're not in, in for just hijinks. Um, I think I think fish out of water movies have kind of taught us that hey, hey, this, you know, nothing but hilarity ensues being in that situation. But um, you know, if you watch the the last scene of Midnight Cowboy, that's not true. Yeah, it's interesting because like the like the movies we started with, the 80s movies, which really turned it into this very bankable formula, right? Like they became the hugest hits of of the 80s. These movies about these like kind of lovable, hilarious fish out of water. And here's like 
one of the movies that kind of started that the genre that you know built the genre and it's you know it was like it was rated x originally you know it, <laughs> it was, was rated x yeah. it's it's a dark as you said it's a dark film it's a you know it's it's interesting cuz there there is something to like the, the the depiction of new york in it and comparing that with crocodile dundee which is also at times can be a little bit darker you know it's 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 a cartoon version essentially right but but there is something about it's uh he's involved in a mugging so it's not it's not the sanitized new york of today exactly but but it's it is played for laughs and the horrors that we see in this movie right but it is just interesting how you know like this bold movie that's you know edgy and and was really trying to do something interesting how that over time like kind of like midnight cowboy almost becomes crocodile dundee in a way you know like even joe buck's outfit kind of looks like crocodile dundees you know like the, I, I, I i noticed that too I, I i almost brought that up but i did not you know you almost wonder if if Paul Hogan and the rest of the guys who created this character were kind of like, you know, that Midnight Cowboy character, like I could riff on that as a comedy. Like you almost wonder if that was uh, the inspiration they were going for. But yeah, it, it is. I think it would make a very interesting double feature, Midnight Cowboy and Crocodile Dundee. I would go to this double feature. That's on the that's just interesting. That sounds this. That sounds like a great double feature, actually. So where can if people want to create their own double feature at home? Uh, we'll get to uh, Crocodile Dundee in just a minute, but where can they find Midnight Cowboy? Right now, if if, if today is the day you need to watch Midnight Cowboy, you're going to have to rent it on Amazon or iTunes, but keep checking Netflix because it seems to pop up there quite a bit. You got a light, buddy? Yeah, sure, kid. There you go. And your wallet. Nick, give him your wallet. What for? He's got a knife. <laughs> knife that's a knife at this point in the show we normally do our listeners choice review we talk about a film chosen by the listeners but uh, our last listeners choice poll that was really picked by allison and allison's not here so we're actually going to table the winner of that poll which was the big chill to our next episode so we'll allison and i will will review the big chill on the next episode of SVU. In the meantime, we're going to do a guest host's choice review. And I asked Mike, who was so nice enough to join me on this episode, to pick a movie for us to discuss. Uh, And the only parameters were that I gave him were, yeah, and the only parameters I gave him were, it's got to be something people can rent or stream at home. And with literally thousands of movies to choose from, with... A huge portion of the history of world cinema at his disposal, he chose Crocodile Dundee, <laughs> the 1986 comedy by Peter Feynman and starring Paul Hogan as Australian Bushman Mick Crocodile Dundee. Mick, who is almost never called Crocodile Dundee, even though that is the title of the movie, uh, is tracked down by reporter Sue Charlton from the Long Island newspaper Newsday who, for reasons I never quite figured out, and maybe we can discuss this, thinks that her readers on Long Island would be fascinated to hear about the continuing exploits of this very polite and kind outdoorsman. Uh, Mick takes Sue out into the bush in Australia, and then he follows her back to New York City, where he becomes as out of his element at society parties and in East Village dive bars as she was among the snakes and aborigines. Now, Mike, I've got a few questions for you to start off the review, but let's start right here. With so many movies you could have chosen, 
Why did you pick Crocodile Dundee? I was looking for a movie that I thought would be interesting to talk about, but also would kind of make you mad. (laughs) I feel I've succeeded. Mission accomplished. Well, we haven't accomplished the first part of that, but I know I've succeeded on that second part. Yeah, you might have succeeded a little bit. Okay, so now, have you? What's your relationship with this movie? I mean, had you? I'm guessing you probably saw it when it first came out, or around then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I saw it with my parents. They, uh, I had no idea what they were taking me to. They had heard good things. Um, that's the way it used to work. They, they, they had heard so you, good you, things you, about you, Crocodile Dundee. You, but that's the way it worked then. Mm-hmm. A movie would come out. Uh, friends would tell other friends, hey, this movie is really good. Go see it. And so we went and saw it. And I laughed a lot. And then it becomes the second biggest movie of 1986, which is remarkable. Like, it. Like you could, if you polled people who know what they're talking about and say, what was the second biggest movie in 1986? No one's going to say Crocodile Dundee unless they just happen to know that piece of information. No, if you, if you, if you adjust this movie for inflation, it, it, the amount of money it made in 1986 is greater than 2001 A Space Odyssey and it's greater than Psycho. That's how big of a hit this movie was. I mean, it was. A gigantic hit. It's like it's unbelievable today that it would be, but it was that big of a hit. Well, I guess I want to ask you, like, before we even get into the, the movie itself, is is it is a phenomena like Crocodile Dundee impossible in 2014? Um, uh, to be the second biggest movie of the year with the Transformers and all the superhero movies, I just can't see it happening. Maybe, maybe. Um, I think it is possible. Yes, I think it's possible. I mean, a movie like My Big Fat Greek Wedding became a similar phenomenon just a couple of years ago. And that was a movie that was, you know, arguably was even smaller than Crocodile Dundee in terms of the budget and the, you know, it had, you know, people that, actors in it that weren't famous. And and through word of mouth, that movie really became a huge phenomenon and a huge hit. Well, let's define define a couple years ago. You, uh, You actually meant 12 years ago. Okay, 12 years ago. That's a long time. That's a long time. I guess that's Not true. Recent. I guess that's true. But I feel like it could happen again. I mean, even granted, this is a movie from a huge studio, and uh, with a you know a gigantic budget. But I almost feel like you know the the rabid success of a movie like Frozen, you know, which admittedly has, like I said, a much bigger budget and and studio behind it. Although you know, Crocodile Dundee was released by a major studio. I think it was released by Paramount. Just the way that that movie has like endured and has become a cultural touchstone. Like sometimes these, like when I saw when I saw Frozen, I thought it was a, a very entertaining little, you know, family film. But I would not have predicted that it, it would become this movie that probably the children of right now in twenty years that's going to be, you know, they're going to remember that movie the way we talk about like Ghostbusters or Beverly Hills Cop or something like that. So. I, I, I think it's possible. Sometimes you can't predict what's going to catch the zeitgeist, and I certainly would not have predicted that Crocodile Dundee would have, but it certainly did in in its day. The budget for Crocodile Dundee, which was eight point eight million according to Wikipedia, as you said, which is always correct. I'm going to take the word for it. Yes, um, that's very modest, but you know, a little bit more than it sounds like today in right. 1986 money. But I feel if Crocodile Dundee came out today. And it made thirty million dollars. People would be calling it a huge success, not three hundred twenty-eight million like it made in eighty-six. Like it would come out if it made thirty million dollars, forty million dollars, something like that, with this no-name cast and this weird story about this guy from Australia. 
there's I just I just can't see it breaking through the zeitgeist today like it did in 1986. And I don't know why it even happened then. But I, I, I think it just I mean, it was I, I just I feel it was a complete word of mouth movie back mm-hmm. then. And I don't feel it happens anymore. I feel like it moves so quickly now. Like, it, you know, it's your first weekend and out and very few movies get a chance to um, have the chance to build an audience. And, you know, it's funny with the, with the video on demand um, uh, section you do. Uh, I feel this is a movie that would probably premiere like in theaters and on demand at the same time. Right. Today. Right. You, you, you might be right. You might be right. And, and certainly the, the, Folk. And people would be saying, "Hey, uh, you'd, you'd see people on Twitter going, hey, the Crocodile Dundee. I know it's a, you know, it sounds like a foreign film, but check it out. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's what would be happening. Like it'd be, it'd be getting, getting like a strong push from people on Twitter going, this movie's actually really funny. You should really check it out. And, and instead, it was, it was, it dominated the box office. And that, that is insane to me that this could happen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not against it happening. I think it's great it happened. It's just I kind of wish this could still happen. Right, right. No, I, I, I got you. Well, let's talk about the movie itself because that was one of my other questions, was, which was, you know, like, okay, you saw it when you were a kid. I mean, is it the kind of thing that you hadn't rewatched since then? Like, for me, that's the case. Like, I saw this movie on TV when I was a kid, but I literally hadn't seen it in 20 years. So for me, it was – it was uh, – it you know, it was it was uh, it was essentially watching it for the first time, basically. Uh, how have you seen it multiple times or was this the first time you went back and looked at it again? And how did you think it holds up now? Um, I actually have seen it quite a few times since 1986. <laughs> uh, I own it on a DVD. Um, anyway, it. The sequels do not hold up. The the, the well, I, I I don't I've never even seen Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. I think the first one still holds up. I think it is it's still very funny. I think it's very charming. I think charming's the better word. And you you like Mick Dundee. Mick Dundee seems like a a good bloke. Right. I think that's really the main appeal of the film is that he comes across as such a likable guy, and he is. He's just very nice and very polite and very very charming and and he really you know like i think that the same way that the whole movie is kind of about you know the the united states and the readers of long island's favorite newspaper newsday falling for uh crocodile dundee you do kind of fall for uh for this guy for for paul hogan's character well to be fair she does go out there because she heard a story about a man yeah. who had his leg ripped off sure. and somehow crawled hundreds of miles to safety. Right. And then she gets out there and finds out that's an exaggeration. Correct. So I could see someone today or anytime hearing this story of survival and saying, I want to do a story on this man. Uh, it is a little weird that she keeps going with the story once she finds out he just has like a little bite on right. his leg. My, my, but, th- uh, but, but my point is just that it, I just found it odd that like of all the like I mean it almost would make more sense to me if it was like USA Today or New- the New York Times or like a huge like newspaper that's read you know widely. It just seems so strange for like to pick Newsday you know this Long Island newspaper. I just think it's so funny that like you know maybe there is a huge like Australian expat community on Long Island that I don't know about that uh they were really interested in tales from the motherland or something that I don't realize. The, the, the thing that I found pretty fascinating about it is, you know, we were talking earlier in terms of fish out of water movies and the stakes and how the stakes in like the Frank Capra movies are so high that this guy, you know, Mr. Deeds might lose his freedom. He might literally be sent to an insane asylum or, you know, Mr. Smith may be. You know, ruined forever. His good name may be tarnished forever. And in this movie, the stakes 
are there any stakes? I mean, they're unbelievably small. It's really just about watching um, these sort of charming, funny situations in Australia and then going back to New York City. And it, it barely even seems like – I mean there's sort of this romance going on. Yeah, the romance is the, are the stakes, I believe. But, but, the, but, but even that is like – so like her relationship – she the, you know, Sue, the, the writer, she has this relationship with her editor. But even that, I mean she doesn't seem all that interested in him and, you know – you might expect in a movie like this because she her character is sort of revealed to be kind of this you know she comes from a very wealthy family in New York and so you can kind of anticipate some sort of friction there where her parents maybe are like we don't want you hanging around with this crazy dirty guy from Australia who has bad manners but that's not the case either the parents seem to like Mick Dundee and he actually charms them as well and that doesn't really come up all that much you know like there are kind of there's a plot and a story but it's so small scale and small stakes I was kind of blown away by how how little it matters and very deliberately so like there's no attempt to make it an like a serious intense storyline but isn't that a good thing i mean it, it, it i feel the writing and some of the jokes like <laughs> the one that i i it, it's weird it, it's kind of this is a weird statement every time i watch crocodile <laughs> i find something new <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one that made me laugh this time is when they're at the party and the guy is trying to snort cocaine yes yes <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Mick Dundee thinks it's it's something wrong with his allergies. Um, so like he, he's got he a takes, stuffed nose, essentially. He's got a stuffed nose, so he takes an entire vial of cocaine and dips it in hot water and tells the guy, "No, this is how you do it. Right. Put your head over a steaming bowl, throw the cocaine in the steaming bowl uh, of water, a uh, boiling bowl, bowl of water. Put it, put a towel over your head and sniff it, sniff the fumes." And he gets the guy to do it, and the guy and. and the, 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 I laughed out loud as Crocodile Dundee is leaving the room and the guy is like, what am I doing? And looks up at Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee does, points at him, then points at that bowl, like, get back down there and do it. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. I think that's the problem. Remember um, New York Magazine did that piece about, God, was it a year ago now? That uh, with Damon Lindelof involved, basically Lindelof is saying – Every movie today, it has to be the entire world at stake. Right. That's how you get financed. You cannot do not even attempt writing a script where the world is not at stake. And here we go. We have the exact opposite. I mean, I realize this isn't a superhero movie, but at the same time, this is the exact opposite. N- literally, almost nothing is at stake. Right. Yet it was the second biggest movie of the year. And I feel like there's a lesson to be learned there. Just a fun, charming story can do people like that. Yeah, it, that you. I mean, you may have a point. I mean, uh, for better or for worse, I think it's an interesting comparison. Yeah, and I remember that article, and and certainly, especially at this time of year, uh, you do see a lot of movies where the stakes are incredibly high. You know, as high as they can possibly make them. I mean, the big movie last week was Godzilla, where literally the the, the entire world is on the line, and it is it is uh, jarring to see a movie like Crocodile Dundee. Where, like, in that scene that you we, you were just talking about with the cocaine, which is really funny, like, the guy, right as the scene kind of caps off, uh, Mick goes to talk to Sue, and she's like, do you realize what that was? That was, like, hundreds of dollars worth of cocaine, and the guy 
doesn't even get upset. Like, there's not even a part where the guy is like, what are you doing? You just ruined my cocaine. Like, he, like, it's all just, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to try it. Yeah, right, there's no, there's no big, intense payoff to it. And no, you know, it doesn't lead to a chase scene or a fight scene. And there's one or two scenes. There's like a, you know, there's a fight in an alley at one point where uh, some guys that Crocodile Dundee has punched earlier in the movie come to get their revenge. But really... It's not about that, and and you know I don't know that I would advocate this approach for all movies. I like a movie with some stakes, but it, it is kind of striking to see this movie, which which has so little on on the line at any given moment, and is just a pleasant way to spend uh, you know an hour and forty minutes that did become this huge financial success. Well, I'm also not advocating that movies uh, have uh, zero stakes. But I think it's a lesson that maybe the world doesn't have to be on the line in every movie. Right. I think and that's you can fair. have movies with if you care about the characters and in this movie, even you admit and you're not even like you were you were uh, uh, the opposite of excited about rewatching this movie. Even you admitted you liked Crocodile Dundee. You cared about him. I'm yes. not saying you cared about every character, but you do care about him. Yes. You, you, he's a very charming man. And. You care what happens to him, and in the end, isn't that kind of all we want in a movie to care about someone and see what happens? Yeah, maybe, and I think it is. I think, as you're saying, like it's a testament to how, like, how much like a character can go a long way, and you know, people wanted to see this character. They fell in love with this guy. I mean, more than the movie, I think they really just fell in love with this guy and seeing. You know, seeing Australia, this world that probably most people were unfamiliar with, but then seeing New York City, this world that a lot of people were familiar with through his eyes and seeing it from his unusual and unique perspective. And what's interesting is, you know, bringing up that that article and bringing up this idea of stakes and how so many movies are so focused on the stakes. And, you know, again, I did not expect to talk so much about Godzilla on this podcast, but, you know, in the case of the new Godzilla, that's a movie that has a lot of stakes. Um, but I found the characters so unlikable and so uninteresting, particularly the main guy, the main character played by Aaron Taylor Johnson is just this he's just this big absence in the middle of the movie. And, you know, even though you have all these other things around it, including incredible action, incredible stunts, incredible visual effects, you know, all this stuff with Godzilla that I liked, I walked out feeling kind of unsatisfied because of the character I didn't like. And here you have the focus almost entirely on just making this character, just making him this guy that we like and want to spend time with. And you walk out, you don't really feel like you've seen a masterpiece, but you feel like you've at least spent time with this character who's a nice guy. And, you know, it leaves you with a kind of a smile on your face, you know, cheesy as it may be and sort of uh, goofy as you may feel saying it, you do walk out of it going, you know, that, that Paul Hogan he seems like a good egg. That Crocodile Dundee, he seems like a good egg. Well, let me ask you this, you know, because, again, you seemed very uh, uh, hesitant to, with this movie being the pick. But after you watched it, did you at least say, OK, I get why this movie did so well in 1986? I would say that I walked away going, I get why it was successful, but maybe not this successful. You know, like right. you watch Beverly Hills Cop and that's more of a complete movie. You know, like it has oh, a it has sure. a it has a story that's that's compelling with Axel Foley, who's trying to, you know, figure out who killed his friend. And, you know, like it's got a mystery plot and the supporting characters are a little more fun to watch. You know, Rosewood and, and Taggart and and uh, Bogomil, the, you know, uh, Ronnie Cox in the in the Beverly Hills uh, Police Department. This movie, I think the supporting characters 
beyond Sue, you know, that, that, that there really aren't any that are uh, worth remembering. And it's really just about Crocodile Dundee. So, you know, to a certain degree, I get why it was popular. I guess I just I don't really understand why it was that popular. I'm going to ask you a question. OK. That you think it's going to be a joke, but I'm being serious. OK. If Mick Dundee were the main character in a Godzilla, would you have enjoyed Godzilla more? Like as he is exactly here? Well, I'm sure he wouldn't be (laughs) happy-go-lucky in certain scenes, but you would. Maybe that's a bad way to phrase the question, but I do think he's a character we care about, and I agree with you. Like I like Godzilla more than you liked it, but I did not care about the characters. Right. I think, uh, you know, like Crocodile Dundee meets Godzilla, maybe not the best approach, but I think... I think we just thought of a hit. No, I'm I'm not so sure. But I think if, like, I do think that there is something... I imagine, here's what I imagine, a boardroom where uh, someone's got his left left hand up and goes, the box office from Godzilla, someone's got his right hand up, the box office from Crocodile Dundee, and he smushes his hand, put those together. That's a hit. I smell a hit. I I think I think the point though that I would make is just that the attention to character is like just as important as the attention to the stakes, right? That you know that that as that article um was it by who was it by was it Damon Lindelof? Yes. Yeah. So the, like, but what Lindelof's point about that uh, you know like it's all about the stakes now in Hollywood and and stakes are important. I think that you can't forget the character and that a movie like Godzilla would benefit from a, a, um, a character who has as memorable and as interesting and as likable and fun to follow uh, as Crocodile Dundee. It's a different time now, Mike, but if, if people want to go back and check out the original Crocodile Dundee and compare and contrast and consider the state of huge blockbuster films and huge successful films then and now, they can do so because Crocodile Dundee is available for rent on Amazon and iTunes. All right, we're going to wrap things up with our Behind the Eight Ball segment where we recommend three new titles on streaming. We give you two listener recommendations, and then we give you one random film chosen blindly by number from uh, my my list. And uh, Mike's going to just chime in with my I, – I, I've done this. Uh, Allison's not here, of course, so I didn't, I didn't have uh, Mike – <clears throat> go through and, and give us his recommendations, but he's going to chime in with uh, on my recommendations where applicable. So let's get into it. Let's start with three new titles. First up, now available on Netflix, is Like Someone in Love. It's the latest film from Abbas Kiristami, the Iranian director. This is his follow-up to his brilliant film-certified copy, which is also on Netflix, actually. And this film is about a college student in Japan who uh, moonlights as a prostitute and she uh, she kind of reluctantly agrees to um, skip a meeting with her grandmother to spend the night with this lonely older man. And that decision has these big repercussions for her relationship with her boyfriend who doesn't realize that she is a prostitute. Um, it's not quite as good as certified copy, but it's it is good and it has some really great sequences. There's one really incredible one where the the main character played by Rin Takanashi. Uh, is listening to her grandmother's voicemails while driving to meet the client. It's just an incredible sequence. So that is Like Someone in Love, available on Netflix. Next up, available on Hulu Plus, is the classic Harold Lloyd comedy The Freshman from 1925, silent film, directed by Sam Taylor and Fred Neumeyer. This is one of the original college comedies from 1925. Harold Lloyd plays Harold Lamb, 
this college freshman who dreams of joining the football team and is repeatedly uh, stymied in hilarious fashion. Um, he uh, perhaps a a, a, a uh, inspiration for Adam Sandler's The Waterboy, yet another fish out of water Adam Sandler comedy. Uh, he. Uh, becomes the water boy of his uh, college football team at one point. Uh, it's a really funny movie. It's a incredible Harold Lloyd gags. The final scene, which is the football game with Harold Lloyd doing all these crazy, you know, football plays and stunts, is just fantastic. So that's the freshman available on Hulu Plus, and finally available on Amazon Prime is uh, The Spectacular Now, the recent and quite good teen film starring Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley. Miles Teller plays kind of like, almost like a Ferris Bueller type, sort of this, you know, uh, happy-go-lucky, wild, kind of crazy guy, but who also has sort of a, a darker side and maybe has a problem with alcohol and is trying to figure out what to do with his life and dealing with a breakup, and that's when he gets to know Shailene Woodley's character, and it's all about their relationship. Uh, Directed by James Ponsolt. This was a Sundance film. I think I saw it at South by Southwest. It was a really, really good little movie from the writers of uh, 500 Days of Summer, if you've seen that as well. Uh, Mike, did you see The Spectacular Now? Uh, Yeah, I saw it at Sundance last year, 2013. 2013, yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's great. And yeah, basically, that's a great description. It's Ferris Bueller if he had... A drinking problem, essentially. Right, right, exactly. So uh, check that one out if you missed it so far. Spectacular now available on Amazon Prime. And very briefly, two quick big movies that were just added to Netflix that people might be interested in. Star Trek Into Darkness and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Those are both now streaming on Netflix. All right, let's get to two listener recommendations here. Our first one is from a listener named Rebecca, who says, Hey, Allison and Matt, and also Mike. I just she added, didn't say that. She didn't say that. I just added that in. Sorry. Uh, I was very glad to hear Allison say she really liked The Double. I caught it at the San Francisco International Film Festival a few weeks ago and really enjoyed it. I found it to be very funny while also unsettling in a way that stuck with me. Since I enjoyed that and Submarine, uh, the previous film from Richard Ayoade, so much, I finally got around to checking out Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which recently became available on Hulu. For people who haven't heard of it, it's a hilarious parody show within a show that Richard Ayoade directed co-stars in and co-created. It features pompous horror writer Garth Marenghi presenting his poorly acted and edited 80s horror show set in a hospital. In addition to being packed with lots of ridiculous jokes, it has great visual gags like horrible edits where a person is holding a bloody shovel one second and a coffee cup the next or gravestones swaying in the breeze. Even sitting by myself on the couch watching it at home, I laughed out loud constantly. Thanks for the great show. So that's uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And I had just recently heard about this show, Mike. I don't know if you've uh, watched it, heard of it. I watched a little bit of it just recently after watching the double myself, and it is really, really funny. So absolutely recommend people check that out. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, available on Hulu. And finally, another recommendation. This one is from Graham from Scotland, but living in Brussels. And I love hearing from these international listeners. Graham says, I just listened to your British comedy breakdown. And I think it's a crying shame that one particular writer and actor hasn't crossed over to the U.S. yet. Her name is Julia Davis. She works closely with Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan and has the darkest sensibility when writing. A true original and someone who writes the most crackling dialogue. I would love to see if her humor translates to American audiences as it is very dark. 
all of her series are brilliant, and I would recommend them if you can find them. And he lists Graham lists a bunch of series. The only one that I found available was Nighty Night is available on Hulu Plus, the series by this comedian Julia Davis. He also recommended Hunderby, Lizzie and Sarah, and Human Remains, but I couldn't find those streaming in the U.S. But Nighty Night is available, so if you want to take Graham's recommendation. You can check that out on Hulu Plus. And thank you, Graham, for writing in. And finally, a random film from my my list. Uh, Mike, you gave me number 68. And completely by random, it is the movie Godzilla vs. Mothra, <laughs> which I think there I actually go. recommended on the show just last week um, as part of the, uh, the segment of uh, the show. The same segment where we recommend... You know, I think I was a newer title that I was recommending there. I guess I didn't even realize I had it on my queue or my list there. And I, I guess now I can take it off because I just watched it. And it's actually a fun Godzilla movie. I found it very entertaining, uh, very psychedelic and strange. It's it's not quite as serious as the original Godzilla or the, the new American version, which, you know, I, I actually kind of prefer the more dark and serious Godzilla, but... This movie has its charms, too. It's very psychedelic and strange. It has Mothra. It has an island where Mothra lives and uh, is worshipped by these, these egg people. It's very weird. But I, I have to admit, I kind of enjoyed it. So that's Godzilla versus Mothra. And for the record, Paul Hogan is not in that He's movie. not in that one. He does not play Mothra. No. That's not a moth. This <laughs> is a moth. Oh, man. This is the part of the show where we normally count down our listeners' choice options. But again, we, we don't have that this week because we are going to uh, review the last winner, The Big Chill, on our next episode. So no listeners' poll this time. But again, you can check out The Big Chill on Netflix while you're waiting. And until our next episode, you can also check out Film Spotting SVU where we've got our show archive as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. And the Film Spotting SVU Remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And uh, our guest this week, Mike Ryan, we want to thank again for joining me. Mike's the senior editor at screencrush.com. And uh, is there anything else you want to uh, uh, tell people about, Mike, your Twitter handle? Uh, you also do a podcast, I know. Do you want to talk about that? It's about Saturday Night Live. I don't know how much uh... – Overlap there is. Well, there might there be some. If, if if our listeners are interested in a podcast about Saturday Night Live, they should check it out. Where can they find it? Uh, iTunes. On iTunes. What's <laughs> yes. the, what's what is the name of the show? Uh, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, which uh, will not have a new episode now till September. So check that out. There you go. Okay. So, uh, and your Twitter account, Mike, is the Campaign Book. That's not your. No, that's not your Twitter account. That's Shia LaBeouf. That's Shia LaBeouf. Yes. Yes. Oh, I got confused. Um, uh, I, I almost said that or A plus K. I couldn't decide. Um, uh, it's 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 my name, Mike Ryan. Okay, very good. And thanks again for joining us. It was a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for making me watch Crocodile Dundee, which oh, I definitely which I definitely would not have done under any other circumstance. I'm glad it made you just a little mad. <laughs> uh, Film Spotting SVU will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Singer, and you can follow the show on Twitter as well. That's at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>